and welcome to another episode of Unlearn, Relearn podcast with Megan and Wilson. Hello, hello, friends. How are you? Oh, I'm doing great. I'm doing great. It's a beautiful Sunday. It is a beautiful day here in Los Angeles, California, and this is not to brag if you live on the East Coast right now, because (laughs) from what we've heard, it is a mess. Snowing. Should have lived in L.A. (laughs) Nah. Um, But stay safe out there if you're listening to this and you're on the East Coast. Um, I'm loving all the pictures that I'm seeing of dogs playing in snow. Yeah. I saw saw a few of those on Instagram and I was like... Those are fun. Those are pretty cool. Those are fun. Um, But uh, thank you for hanging out with us for another week. This week's episode is about the deification and putting on a pedestal of politicians. Yep. And we're going to just give you some of our ideas and thoughts and conversation on this phenomena, which is not old. It's very, I mean, it's not new. I mean, it's very old. And um, we're just going to talk about it. It's been, you know, it's been getting worse and worse each year. Yeah, we, we've seen it with other politicians. Totally. You, you know, you've seen it with Reagan. I mean, at least in my lifetime, I saw it with Reagan, Clinton, Obama, definitely. Trump. Right. So it definitely is something that happens on both sides. Absolutely. And it's not just, you know, I think in our, if you go to our YouTube channel, you'll see that we talked about some people who are, you know, putting the former president on a pedestal and treating him as if he was some sort of godlike figure and how ridiculous that sounds and how you can make fun of it, but also the danger, the danger, but the also, danger. and also that was an extreme version, but we're, we're going to talk about the light, the, the diet version of that yeah. that happens the, the ones that aren't often. as in your face yeah and aren't as obvious and you can't easily make fun of it but it still happens right so that's going to be our main topic before we get to our main topic we're going to talk about two highlights of the week these are stories that we found that we you know maybe kind of slipped through the news slipped through the cracks and didn't get as much attention as we thought they would and we're going to talk about them so i'll go first my highlight of the week is about the Michael Thompson story. I don't know if anybody out there is familiar with this story, but this story is pretty, pretty sad. It has a happy ending, but it starts out as a pretty sad story. So um, Michael Thompson was freed last week after spending more than two decades behind bars for a conviction related to a marijuana sale. This is, um, um, the Michigan man had been convicted after a 1994 marijuana sale to a police informant led to a search of his house which uncovered 14 weapons. He was found guilty and Michigan's habitual offender law allowed the judge to hand down an enhanced sentence that put him behind bars for between 42 and 60 years. Right, because you have to remember this is back in like... This is 94. Right. And they were all about the, the war on drugs. We grew up and, there. You, you know, know like... a politician named Hillary Clinton had called these people super thugs and predators. Right. And... Bill Clinton was trying to flex how tough he was on crime, so mm-hmm. pretty much anything, mandatory minimums, enhanced right. sentencing techniques, 
all these things were happening at that time, which basically mean meant that if you got caught with with what they cons what they believed to be or considered to be too much of a particular drug, you could go to jail for a long time. And he got caught up and uh, spent twenty four years in jail. <sighs> um, it's wild. The for the last number of years, his case drew national attention with many calling for his release. In August, the state's attorney general joined in speaking out against this unduly harsh punishment. The sentence imposed on Mr. Thompson is the product of a different time in Michigan legal history. Uh, Governor Whitmer, Governor Gretchen Whitmer of Michigan announced in December that Thompson and three other people in prison for nonviolent offenses were granted clemency and he walked out of prison um, on Thursday at 4 a.m., a free man. Now, this was on February 2nd, 2021. Now, here, now that's just an awful, tragic, horrible story. But, the, you know, one of the few consolations that people did was a lot of activists came together, and uh, Sean King included, and they raised, they helped to raise money so that at a minimum, because he was a felon, um, his ability to get a home and a car was severely limited. So they raised enough money, about $270,000, to buy him a home, all cash, and to buy him a car. And so at a minimum, they wanted to help him get a piece, even if it was only a small piece, of his life and dignity back for the, dignity back for the remaining years of his life. And I think that... Um, it was just an amazing thing that they could have done. I'm, I'm so happy That's for all awesome. the people who donated and came together. If we can donate to give money to, if there are people who can sit there and raise money for people can, uh, accused and arrested for shooting and killing people, um, then, it, then, then we can do this. We can help a man out so that in a minimum he can have a place to lay his head at night and, and a car to drive around in. So, this was one of those stories that I just wanted to talk about. Oh, also a caveat, caveat to this story is that uh, I believe Sean King had, had uh, talked about this on his Instagram page that NBC News had caught wind of this story and wanted to feature it on their channel. But once they found out that Sean King was involved, they passed on the story. So that tells you everything. That's a data point that tells you what you need to know about the quote-unquote mainstream media and their willingness to cover um, stories like this if, if it happens to be associated with people that they don't like. Um, so, yeah, that's the Michael Thompson story. Please do more research into this story. This story is, was one of the, what comes out of one of the worst parts of our recent history, the uh, mass incarceration um, uh, era. And I'm glad that at least we they were able to give him something. That's amazing. So, uh, Megan, what yeah. is your highlight of the week? So, this week I wanted to talk about the story that comes out of Utah. Uh, Utah Charter School allowing parents to opt out of Black History Month. So the school incorporates Black History Month into its lessons plans and they've been facing obvious, back, or at least obvious to us, backlash for um, allowing, just, just being able to opt out. Um, the Montessori Academy director, uh, 
Micah Hirokawa announced the decision on their private on the school's private Facebook page and uh, she wrote that or uh, he wrote sorry that he was reluctantly sent letters from families stating you know that they didn't that they they didn't want to opt into that so they were they reluctantly send out the letters to the parents allowing them to exercise their civil rights to not participate in Black History Month at the school. Um, but the academy director also mentioned that, you know, they were deeply saddened and he was deeply saddened and disappointed because, you know, we shouldn't be shielding children from our his- the history of our nation. Um, and the mistreatment of African-American citizens and the bravery of civil rights leaders, he said. So, um, and this is something that I absolutely agree upon. And it also just shows how far we have to go as a country that people are wanting to opt out of history because they're refusing to acknowledge and take accountability of it. And it's just very wild. Yeah. The, the thing that, I mean, two pieces. First, it's a charter school. So right, so it's second, a charter school. That takes- second, it's in a Montessori charter school. Now, I've heard all of the good things about how, a Montessori, how Montessori schools, um, they allow kids to be kids. They allow them to gravitate towards the subjects and topics and interests that, that, that and then they build upon that. They don't, a lot of times they, they're known for not having a, a sort of like a real hard structure about what they teach kids. They allow kids to sort of like gravitate towards things that interest well, them. Well, not necessarily. You're still, they, the kids are still te- taught the, like what, like all the subjects. It's just that kids obviously learn in different ways. We don't all learn the same way. Yes. So they have, um, they they've created different lesson plans based on how kids learn. Yes. Yeah. So when you're in that environment so. and you're in a charter school, which I think I'm not sure if I I know not every single charter school you have to pay for your kid to go to. Right. Um Yeah, I was going to get to that. So you're kind of like the you're you're in the new the, the cutting edge or the new wave or the new... This is not a public school is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. And it's also not a, like, not a strict private boarding school. This is sort of like mm-hmm. the new type of schools that they're coming up with. Charter schools and Montessori charter schools. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, shit, I kind of... <laughs> I kind of feel like the parents might be on that wave to say, well, if I'm, I'm, if I'm able to choose all these things that my kid can and can't do, why can't this be another one of the things? Now, what happens about Mexican-American History Month or Mexican-American History or Indigenous History? Can you, are you going to be able to <laughs> opt out of your kids learning any yeah. history that you don't like? I mean, wow, it kind of gets to the point to where are you really serving the well-being and the, the, the well-roundedness of the child? If you're going to just be like, well, you're not going to learn African-American history and uh, you're not also not going to learn indigenous history because it's 
in some ways more brutal. I mean, they just they wiped mm-hmm. out those people. So it's like, are they not going to let their kids learn indigenous? I mean, mm-hmm. Utah is a very right. like indigenous land state. I mean, there's indigenous tribes all over that state. You're not going to let them learn about the people that they literally live right next to. Right. So what's I mean, I'm just saying there's a slippery slope and it doesn't stop at, 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 at America, at African-American or black history. Mm-hmm. Most people don't learn real black history anyway. You know, Black History Month, in my opinion, is we're going to get to this towards the end of the month. Mainstream American black history is a farce. It's a joke. They don't teach real black history unless it's about an athlete or an entertainer or an approved person that they want you to know about. They don't teach you about actual real black history. So, yeah, those kids, in my opinion, I think if they get to an older, much older in their teens and maybe in their early 20s, They'll be just as clueless as most Americans are about black history. Yeah. I figure that they won't be that much different. <laughs> I hate to say I had to be pessimistic like that, but like most black people don't know black history, really. Mm-hmm. We just know whatever they teach us. We don't go do actual real black history and learn about certain figures that they keep off of TV, you know? They keep certain, they'll put King on TV, but think about all the people that they won't. Right. So. That's the other part of black history that you should learn. You know, why are they shoving these certain historical figures down your throat every February, but they don't tell you about these other ones? Yeah. So. Well, the main reason I wanted to bring this up is because it's just a perfect example of, you know, just the shining the light on the fact that we're just refusing to accept and take accountability for our history and you know it's history is something that we should all learn from and it's you know it's that should already happened we can't change it it's already happened so what we can do is learn from it and move forward and improve and yeah improve and grow and but we can only do that if we're acknowledging accepting and taking accountability so mm-hmm. um yeah don't have an answer but that should suck. just interesting to, to keep an eye on that and to you know watch that story and to know that they're doing it to see if it spreads to see if there's other cities and other uh counties and school districts that are also doing the same thing how widespread is it you know those are just things to keep an eye on because it's not really that surprising to me because you know America has been, a lot of places in America have been denying black history and and not letting their kids learn it for centuries, so, Mm -hmm. you know. But it's just interesting that it's happening in our lifetime. (laughs) As we all, I mean, we always like to think that the time that we live in is the better time, and the time before that was the worst time. But when you're living in a time, you're like, man, that's really bad. Yeah. (laughs) Like, that's really bad. Like, 50 years from 50 years from now, they're gonna be like, damn, the early 2000s were bad. (laughs) Like, yeah, they were. (laughs) That shit was crazy. (laughs) So, moving into our uh, main topic. Um, like I said, our main topic this week is going to be about the deification and pedestalization of politicians. And, you know, it's not that it's a good or a bad thing. It's just that this is what we've noticed and these are our thoughts and ideas about them. Yeah. And why do people do it? And where does it come from? Where does it come from? So 
You want to start we'll us start off, Megan? start with the two-party political system. So the reason, or essentially, you know, we like to, here at Unlearn and Relearn, we like to get down to the core, right? So what, like, what, where did we start, you know? Like, what started all of this? Why did we start to glorify and idolize our the politicians? Like, you got to think back. So we, we kind of were like sitting down, brainstorming all of this, and, and then we kind of just came to, to the idea that it comes down to the two-party system. It's a winner-take-all system, and we don't need a majority. So majority is a party or group receiving the greater number of votes, and a plurality, which is really what we have, is the number of votes cast for a candidate who receives more than any other but they don't have to receive the majority. So that's essentially what we have going on. So what that ends up with, or what that like creates, is that the parties ending end up attacking each other and voters or citizens end up voting. Uh, the voting becomes more about, I don't want this person to win, as opposed to I'm voting for these issues, so which is what it should be. So it's what you're against right more than what what you're, you're for. for yeah and that is a slippery slope yeah. um it encourages extremism and we are going to talk about how it, it encourages it on both sides okay so That's you think interesting i'm sorry i didn't mean to cut you off but like it's interesting that you say both sides because there's more than like you said, there's more than two sides right or more than two ways to think about all these different issues there's could be an infinite number of ways to think about Absolutely. all these issues. But because of the way our system is set up, you only get two ways to think. You only are allowed to exist within two ways to think about an issue. And right. it's either this side or that side. Right. And you, I mean, and there's extremism within both of those, right? So you have the Republicans, you have the real extremism, which is, which is what we saw, which was like the QAnon people. Uh, the, the the essentially like neo-Nazi people, mm -hmm. um, the white supremacists, right? Like those are like the real extremism. On the Democrat side, you have like, I guess, Antifa. If right? Antifa if was that a even, thing. even is yeah. like whatever. Um, but also An essentially- Antifa, which is just people who wear Guy Fawkes mask and dress in all black. Right. They're not a, they're they're not organized at all. Yeah. But yeah. I think it was this art or this interview that I saw with AOC and they were and she was talking about, you know how they always say it's a big tent, a big tent. We always talk about the big tents, right? Um and she was talking about, you know, with Republicans it's just kind of like there's just so much going on in there. You have like real conservatives, like I said, you have the libertarians who they say they're in the middle, you know, we're we're in the middle, guys. Um, then you have the neo-Nazis, but in, in the Democrat tent, it's like we're a wanting to just take everybody else in. Mm -hmm. So it starts to be really big and it's like we're having like one arm over here and a whole arm over here. So mm -hmm. it's just two different arms working in two different ways and not working together at all. So you have like the moderates, the progressives and like we're just, it's just clash, 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 yeah. clash, clash to where oftentimes nothing gets done or it becomes counterproductive. So 
both sides. You have you just... have both sides within one side, right? A little bit. <laughs> I yeah. mean, honestly, if you really want to talk about it, if we really had a, a, a real democratic system, the progressives would be their own party, right? Nominating their own senators, congresspeople, right. and presidential candidates, and on the presidential stage, there'd be three candidates, not two. And then on the Republican side, I don't know, maybe there'd be a libertarian or a conservative. Right. I don't know. If totally. There, if there'd be two. But yeah, because of the way the system is set up, we have to be in a tent with people that we don't like. Right. We don't want to be in this tent with these moderates, these these Democratic Republicans pretty much is what they are. Right. These conservative Republicans who should just be conservatives. They should just go be Republicans. We don't I don't want to be in the party with them because they're the they're the the biggest obstacle to actual real change. But I don't have a choice. Who what other party am I gonna join? Right. That's gonna that, actually this is be how able it's been set up. Get on the ballot, you know? Yeah. And so the and it's just funny, so you like I said, we wanna go back to the core. So we go back to like what the founding like why our country was founded and it was to get away from this <laughs> it was literally to get away from all of this you know it was to like be better yeah the i'm pretty sure uh they even said like yeah don't do that that two that whole like two-party system that's not going to be a good thing. That's not going to work out. Yeah, they envision um, multiple parties, multiple streams of thought, different ways, always refreshing and new. And yeah. there used to be, there used to be a Democratic, and then there was a Whig party and a Republican party, and then, then it just became Republican and Democrat. But, you know, you used to have this robust debate. Well, slowly, they also fucked us. Because <laughs> they, they also brought this, you know, they wanted to get away with from that. But like you said, it was like that. And then slowly, it just started to just trickle just into back this two-party two party system. Yeah. So all of that, then, like I said, leads to this idolization because it becomes more about okay, we only have option A or option B. Like my, my mom says sometimes, sorry, mom, uh, shit in one hand and shit in the <sighs> other. You know what I mean? It's just this, nothing's yeah. good here. Um, but this is what, these are our options. This is all we got. These, are, we these got. are the choices. And Now, and let's, now let's, let, let's go back to why it is like this. It's because over the last number of years, they've made it virtually impossible for any other parties to get in get into the game because the one thing you have to have is you have to have a lot of money. You gotta have a lot of money to start another party. You have to get ballot access. You have to go state by state by state and yeah, get your candidate. I don't even know if it's on. even about that. No, it's but it's about the it's about the fact that most the the majority of the country sees it as if they're not Democrat or they're not Republican, I'm wasting my time or I'm wasting my well, that's what we've been on told. this third party. That's what we've been right. told. And it could be better if you could get another party, like if you could get on the ballot in all these other states. Like, for example, when we, when we filled out our ballots, I remember that people were filling out their ballots and they were noticing that there was a certain pop star, a certain rapper who made his way onto our ballot. Kanye West was on the ballot. Mm. Now, was Kanye West on the ballot in every single state is the question. Probably not. Because certain states have certain laws that make it impossible for the third party to actually 
be on the ballot in every state. And if you can't be on the ballot in every state, you can't get enough votes to get to the right. vote of the majority, which means you could then get more federal funds, which means you could then move up. But why are those be. laws like that? Because, the, because, because they're the trying power, to yes, keep the two-party yes. system. So yes. it's just like this whole, yeah, it's this whole system it's that we need up to that tackle way. as well. It's set you know? up that way. Yeah, it is. So... Um, so that just leads to the idolization because then, like I said, we start to, okay, so now, um, so now we, we have strong ties to one or the other because these are our choices. So now basically what we're doing is saying, all right, this is who we got. These are, this is what we want. And now we're going to, you know, kind of project all of that onto them and say, okay, we're trying to get that done. And it's just like those things don't always add up because oftentimes, aka all the time, um, that's just like those people don't, uh, those aren't those values that, they, that they're going no. after. Those are not the things that they're going to run for. Those are not what they're, you that's know, not those aren't the policies in. that they believe yeah. in. And so uh, it just, it's kind of just like a moot point. What, <laughs> what, what ends up happening is that when you have you know, you'll you'll have your sides, and when you when you have an extremism within both sides, it's not it's it's that if if by degrading your side, I am lifting my side up, right? Because if I'm on this side and you're on that side, and my side's better than your side. Then anybody that my side chooses to be a leader, i.e. a presidential candidate, is better than the presidential candidate that you chose. Right. And if my side is better than your side, then that means my person is better than your person. Right. And that means your person is lower and more degraded. So it, it feeds in on itself. It becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy where you don't want to pedestalize the person but the way the system is set up, it's virtually impossible. Well, it's not that it's virtually impossible. It's just that we've all been conditioned exactly. to that. And so at this point, it's like the only way to, like you said, the only way to build our side up is to put the other side down. But in reality, we need to be focusing on the issues. That's oh, what we no, need to be no, talking no, no, about. No, but yeah, not we're not going to do that. <laughs> we're just going to talk about how this guy wants to do this and that's fucking stupid. Yeah. Why would you do that? That's crazy. Yeah. But yeah. really, like, we need to focus on the issues. And what happens is you get the horse race aspect of it. This is what the, the political news does. They don't talk about the issues. No. They just talk about who's hot, who's up, who's down. It's a celebrity. It's, becomes, it's, a, it's, it's, it's an entertainment. It's like E Tonight. Yep. Remember? It, remember? <laughs> it 100% yes. becomes celebrity. Yeah. And when you make some nerdy loser ass politician a celebrity (laughs) bro think about go just go back and think about the people when you were growing up that were more likely come on now. hey i don't agree with that (laughs) but also like but also like they're not first of all i mean i don't agree with how we pedestalize celebrities but also like but, but that's what we do we, we turn do. them but into celebrities it's worse here because these are people that are representatives 
of the people. Oh, so you mean we're oh, not you mean, supposed to be like? Oh, you mean like Denzel Washington is not uh, make doesn't make policy, so I shouldn't turn my politicians into. Denzel I mean, Washington. not uh, yeah, no. It's <laughs> oh, like don't. Oh, oh so they're We actual, shouldn't be caring okay. about like what they're wearing, and we shouldn't be we caring shouldn't? about. You know, I don't know, like what they're. <laughs> I don't know what their hair. I don't know. I don't care about this stuff. So like, I don't even have examples. Like, you I shouldn't care. care about that stuff. I care you should about be caring about what they're doing. What Michelle Obama what they're wore doing. to the inauguration. Like, too. and it also is like on the other side. I'm we, joking. We'll talk about like Bernie. Like Bernie's great and all, but the man was sitting in a damn chair with some mittens on, and he couldn't even like. He couldn't even go about his day. He turned into a whole damn meme. Like it was all over the internet for like a whole like forty eight hours yeah. at least, you know. Yeah, he made and it people about are still doing two it. Full weeks. And then he turned it in. I mean, he did a great thing with it, but it's just like even on the opposite side, we all we I mean, even we love burning side, here. Yeah. But like why? Yeah. Like why did like even on that side, it's just all these things that were not it's just ways to distract. It's bringing the focus away from what the real issues are. And what happens is we're in this system that there's not really growth. We aren't really moving. We aren't really making shit happen because it's just constantly of like this back and forth, like, okay, we can't really figure it out. We so do, we're gonna yeah. like distract and go over here and then we're gonna talk about this over there and then maybe we'll pass this and then maybe we won't pass this and then who knows if we're going to pass it and then we're going to take a break and not talk about it. And then we're going to come back to it. And it's just this whole mess. <laughs> it becomes celebrity more than becomes policy. Let me tell you two quick stories. Um, so I did a lot of activism work in 2015, 2016. I had the opportunity to um, shake and meet Bernie Sanders twice in 2015. And you want to talk about how difficult it is to not pedestalize a politician? There could be nothing further than you pedestalizing somebody when you shake their hand, because then they become real to you. There's, oh, that's a real person. Oh, he and I are almost the same height. I didn't know Bernie Sanders was six feet tall. Oh, okay, you know, because he's right there in front of you. And so then you go, I can't pedestalize him because I've done so much activism work and been in so many circles of people doing activism work that I got an opportunity to meet the man. What about the people who never get an opportunity, who never even be in the same room as him? Like, I can't pedestalize him because he became a real person to me. So that's why I can't do it. But still, I find myself guilty of sometimes being like, oh, Bernie, Bernie this, Bernie that. I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> you shaking his hand. You know what it's like to be in the same room with him. Same thing with Cori Bush. Back in 2016, I did some activism work. We had an opportunity to go to St. Louis, Missouri. I was out there doing work with her. I slept on her couch in her apartment, in her house, in her little duplex apartment. Before she got up the next morning and went to work as a nurse. I know her. I I know her, know her. And I see her on TV now. Thank God. I love it so much that she is a, a national politician now. But I can't. I'm fighting in my own brain, pedestalizing her. And I slept on her couch, you know, so I was like, it's just you have to guard against this is what I'm saying. It is not that it's that it's 
good or bad. It's just that. Yeah, like you're not like this evil person or something that we do it. We've all been trained to do this. And when you see somebody on TV, if you don't know that person for real, then it's easy to sensationalize and to prop them up. And in my case, when you have seen that person in person, it's still difficult to not do it. So we're not talking about a topic that is like something that other people do. No. I pedestalize the shit out of Barack Obama. And I've seen that man in person four times. Once before he even ran for president. And I still said, oh, Obama can do no wrong. He is a human being to That's you. That's what I was going to get. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so it's like this yeah, thing is not just on one side. I, I mean... Yeah. When I see videos of people talking about Trump like he's a god, I'm like, people did the same thing. I mean, I didn't do it, but people did the same thing. The same thing for Obama. Mm-hmm. You can go into almost any, and I'm giving the game away right now. You can go into almost any barbershop in an inner city. You say a mean word about Obama say an untoward comment about Obama and Michelle and Barack, Michelle in particular, (laughs) and see if you don't get denied service (laughs) in said establishment. Like these people have vaulted them to godlike status in some areas and they can do no wrong. And that is dangerous. Yeah, the dehumanization. Very dangerous. I definitely, I mean, that is one of the worst parts, or that is one of the most dangerous parts is that we forget these are just humans. It's just another person just like you and I, and maybe they've, they have amazing and inspiring accomplishments, and maybe there's someone that, like, we might look up to uh, politically or, you know, as someone who in Bernie, Bernie's case, he's done a lot of, of work in the civil rights. You know, that's someone to look up to. But also he's still a human. Mm-hmm. He's still a person. These are representatives of the people. They're not magical beings. They're not these godlike beings. They don't. You go into, they're not. They're you not going to live somebody's, forever. You go into some you of know? these these barbershops, and you'll see pictures of Obama, Barack, and Michelle on the wall, and the way they're framed, and the picture that they bought. It looks like it. It looks yeah. like they're they're. And it's because godlike we've figures. been, you know, uh, conditioned to kind of this is how society works when it comes to our our political system this is how society works in general just like you said with the the celebrities how we look at them it's the same thing with our politicians and and it it becomes just less about what's important and we talk about you know people becoming sheeple you know Mm. and just not really paying attention to the issues and and this is what feeds into that as well is like we're not focusing on the issues. This is what we should be focusing on. Where when we are voting, we are voting on issues. We aren't Wait, voting say on that, people. Say that again. Wait, when we what? vote, we are voting on issues <laughs> and measures 
and you know what's going to happen we are voting on budgets we're not voting on how our um, money is i like this i i think that person looks cool and that person looks like they kind of suck so i'm gonna vote on them or i like the way that that person dresses and that person dresses like a loser so i'm gonna vote for that person like it's just crazy that doesn't yeah. make any sense you know and um i also read an article about uh uh a girl, Nicole Froye, um, I'm probably totally butchering that last name and I'm so sorry, uh, but she wrote this article in November 2020 about um, she's a Latina woman and she talks about how even uh, idolizing, you know, for example, AOC as a, as a Latina spokeswoman is dehumanizing in itself because, you know, it's almost like tokenization. Oh, man. Yeah. And so I thought that was a really interesting article and a really interesting point of view as like another way to see how dehumanizing it is when in that case, like Obama or in this case, like AOC, it can be such a tokenization in, um, in I mean, all different types of perspectives. But you know? what you do is you strip the person of their ability to make a mistake. Totally. When you when you when you tokenize them and when you when you celebritize them or when you pedestalize them or deify them, you strip them of their of their humanness. Yeah. You make it so that when they do make a mistake well, that's why it's always just blown up no matter how big or small the mistake is and it's just like come on people but that's also i mean we've talked about that too just with society in general when it even when it comes especially when it comes to um those who have been to jail and and coming out of jail oh, and re that's the, re assimilating. That's the reverse like, of it yeah that's the absolute reverse of exactly. it exactly because you you've taken the 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 you've said they've un, made this un, mistake unattainable and that's it. love that's it. that you place on a politician and flip it yeah. and make it this miserable way of looking at a person who's made a mistake with their life and you're saying hey you made one mistake and you went to jail therefore your life can never be better and that's Meanwhile, just how we are as a society that's how that's where our mindset is is like if you make a mistake you're now a shitty person and that's it yeah. and it's like that's but not if you, it but if you're <laughs> over here and you're the politician you can make no mistakes There's, there you get away with a lot Let's just say that. You or get away with the when you do make a clear, definable, that was a mistake, you have an entire industry set up to defend you and to, and to cape for you and to say, oh, well, no, 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 you don't understand what was really, no, the person made a mistake. The person is human. They're a human being. Human beings make mistakes. They do things. They say things wrong. They, that's just who they are. And it's like, that's who we all are. We, we don't allow room for we don't allow room for for growth but in this case oftentimes we just you know part of uh you know saying and and giving light to the mistake that you made is to learn the lesson and to show that you've learned the lesson and you're going to make growth from that lesson mm -hmm. so it's not in my opinion it's not necessarily that a politician makes a mistake because i'm assuming that they definitely will do that 
Um, but it's about how did they take that time or that moment of when they made the mistake and turn it around into something positive? How did they how did they correct that mistake, right? There's still um, room for that. And because we don't allow room for that. We don't allow room we for don't that. Allow on either that. side. Right. If you make a mistake as a politician, oh my God, the other side is ready to just like Down never forgive you. Never. And that's when that's when the pointing goes yeah. back and forth. Ne- but you said you want to talk about yeah, that. Yeah, I mean it's it's the whole it's the thing about the what aboutism, you know. But it's but like you said, it's on both sides because like you take somebody like AOC. AOC does something, and there is. A cottage industry on both sides ready to defend everything she does and destroy her for everything she does. Right. Every single statement she makes, every the way she walks, the how she dresses. How she dresses. There's a there's people ready to defend her no matter what, and there's people ready to destroy her no matter what. Mm-hmm. And when you when you do that to a person, you don't allow for the full range of that person to be a person. Right. You basically turn this person into a caricature. You turn well, them into like a, a cartoon like cat, a, a robot, a, a puppet in many ways because it's like they're wanting to, in some way, you know, they they have an agenda, they have a list of what they're trying to accomplish, but then you have, you know, all of their peers, and then you have the people, the citizens, and so we're all coming at them, and we're not allowing them to grow, mm. and and allowing them, like you said, to be into. To bring their creativity and to bring what they what they you know what the what the fuck is their job? And their job is to actually get shit done, right? Yeah, their, their job, job is, is to their job is to legislation be, and policy and, and be to, representatives yes, of the people to, to do those people. things, right? Yes. So, and so when their opinions change or when their positions change, it should be a reflection of the changing opinions of their constituents as well, because that's who they represent. So when they say, oh, I believed in this and now I don't, and you jump down their throat, well, why don't you go find out what's happening in their district? Maybe the demographics of their district change. Maybe the people in their district are saying, hey, we want you to advocate for this. We know 10 years ago or five years ago, we wanted you to advocate for this, but we want you to advocate for this now because this is what we feel like we'll we'll really, we've done the research, we have the policy experts, the advocacy experts have all come in and, and, and done the work and did the did the studies did the da 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 and this is what we've come up with we want you to advocate for getting rid of mandatory minimums now we know 15 years ago it was the thing to do i'm just throwing that out there right but we want you to man we want you to go to washington and do the work of getting rid of that because that is hurting our population or effects in policy or the budget or welfare or whatever it is we're not allowing these people because we have because in, and some people a lot of people have deified them or celebrities made them into celebrities we're not allowing them to change and that's i think is is the most one of the most destructive parts and we're not allowing allowing them to make mistakes yeah. and they're human beings just like the rest of us prone to and hopefully hopefully they learn hopefully this is not it for them when they go to Washington, they know one thing and then they stay that way for the whole time that they're there. Well, that's the part, that's the problem. It all comes back to the two-party system because they're often held to what? The two-party system. They're held to that, those standards. And each, each party, Democrat or Republican, has their, you know, laundry list, if you want to call it, 
of you know items that they pretty much stick to mm-hmm. and so it's like yeah if you are trying to grow from that if you are trying to change that or you if you are trying to i don't know be fucking better <laughs> yeah. like you can't because oftentimes you're now not sticking to the list we're not ta- we're not being on topic not we're not talking about those yeah. you know things that we're supposed to be talking about so now it's like it's out there it's you know whatever the case may be um and it's going away from the issues and that's always what we're going to come back to the pedestalization of these politicians is just furthering our knowledge from the issues and focusing on the two parties and or the, person, these, the individual the, these individuals yeah. and that's just not here's, okay. Here's we need the, to, to bring the focus back to the issues. Here's, we here's need a, to see how we can better our systems. Here's a strike. Here's a really, and I just thought of this. When, <clears throat> when Barack Obama was running against Mitt Romney in 2012, right? 2011, 2010, 2011 is when they started running for, for president. But 2012 was when the election was happening. And Obama just had just passed Obamacare. Obamacare, right? Affordable Care Act is what the... the technical term for it was. Mitt Romney, back in the early 2000s when he was the governor of Massachusetts, oh God, I gotta get that right. He passed a health care, a state health care bill similar to that. By the time it all shook itself out and Obama won re-election, that's when all the news articles started coming out. Well, you know, Obama's health care plan is just like the one Mitt Romney passed. Everybody was like, what? But most people knew it. They just didn't say it out loud. Well, you know, it was the exact same health care bill, right? It was cooked up by the Heritage Foundation as, a, as an attack against Hill. You ready for this? Hillary Clinton, let's go back to the 90s, tried to get Medicare for all back in like 93, 94. And they, they brought the knives out for her. They was not going to let her do that. Heritage Foundation, which was the think tank in Washington, cooked up this health care plan that was an alternative to hers. It was the health care plan that Mitt Romney passed in the early 2000s in Massachusetts. It's the same health care plan that Barack Obama got passed in 2009, 2010. Mm-hmm. So one person advocated for it, and it was the worst thing in the world. But then somebody else advocated and passed the exact same thing, and he was held up. Mm-hmm. And he was thought of. And I know Mitt Romney and his people, especially the people who worked on it in Massachusetts, were like, they probably read the text of the bill, and they're like, what the hell? This is what we did. And we did all the work here. But because Obama decided to do it, now it's the, the oh, my God, we have to defend it. We can't criticize Obama. How dare you? How dare you criticize Obama? Oh, you must be racist. You must be racist if you're criticizing the first black president. You, you know, you can't be criticizing him on policy. It's got to be because he's black. And it's like, but that's the, that's the dangerous part of that. Of that. When Obama drops more bombs on Syria from 2012 to 2016 than any time in recorded human history, so many bombs that the Air Force ran out of bombs, nobody says anything because it's Obama who does it. 
that's the extremism that it comes when it comes right. to ped pedestalization. Sides. When you do things to not address unarmed black people being killed by the police, so much so that a national um, advocate a protester organization has to form in the middle of your presidency because you are so you have put the blinders on and been so indifferent to the death of, of black and brown people unarmed black and brown people at the hands of police and you can't say anything because we have vaulted this man to godlike status that is another example of the extremism part of putting a politician on a pedestal. Yeah. Black Lives Matter starts under Obama because he is so persistently blind to what's going on that a national organization has to begin because he won't do anything. He won't even say anything. And you can't criticize him because we've put him so freaking high up. Right. So this is when we when we have this we conversation. We need to be able to we I mean, as the politicians need to be criticized. We need and I don't mean like we need to shit on them every day, but uh, we do need to keep an eye out on what they're doing, how they're doing what it. They're and saying. when we feel when they are stepping out of line, no matter who they are, we need to say, hey, you're stepping out of line. That is not okay. That is not what we want. This is what, you know, whatever, yeah. this is what we need to do. But we need to stop them in their place and tell them that that's wrong. We don't need to say, oh, well, it's you, so it's okay. Like, no, it's actually not okay. Or find excuses. Yeah, or just like, or the aboutism part. Well, what about the, you know, when so-and-so did so-and-so, okay. Well, we can talk about when so-and-so did so-and-so, but we're also going to talk about this mm -hmm. because they're both equally bad. Like, two wrongs don't make a right. They're both wrong. Mm -hmm. they're, both of those things are still wrong. So you can point fingers all day. But what that person did was still wrong. Yeah. Even if we like them. <clears throat> even, even if even we if think they're, they're great. Even if they're on our side. Yeah. What you know, going back especially. to Especially. Especially if they're on our side. Especially exactly. If they're on our side. If they're on our side, they deserve to get the most smoke. They deserve to get all of the criticism. Because we can't let them falter not one bit. We can't let them stray away from their original position not one bit. We got to keep them on what it was we sent them there to do. Yeah. So as we, as we wrap this conversation, this part of the conversation up, you know, have these conversations with people. Check yourself if you seem to be putting certain politicians on pedestals. Check yourself. Are you focusing more on the issues or are you focusing on more on you don't want to, you don't like the other side, so we're going to only focus on, we're going to pump up this guy. Or are you focusing on making this person to be bigger and, and more, you know. Are you projecting all of yeah, your there's ideas it, there's... And, and your faith in what you want to happen onto this politician? And that's or, where you have to watch your own actions and the way you think about politics. Mm -hmm. Politics is supposed to be the art of the possible. 
supposed to be the art of getting certain things done. It's not supposed to be the art of turning somebody into a celebrity or a god or a deity or somebody who's beyond criticism. None of those people are beyond criticism. They're all worthy of robust and active criticism. Every single one of them should be criticized heavily. They should be asked difficult and, 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 and contentious conversations. They should have to have a, a no that, that there are people out there that are going to con contest and, and challenge them on each and everything that they say and trying to hold them to what it is that they promise to do. And if you're not doing that to your politician, you are not doing your job. Yeah. So. so we'll move on to our next section. This is our say their name section. This is where we talk about and say the names of people who have been affected by state-sanctioned police violence. Megan, do you want to go first? Yeah, so today uh, I wanted to talk about Desmond Phillips. This is a story out of March 2017. Um, it, like many of the stories that we talk about, um, was an instance of a mental health issue. Um, his older, I mean, his father, who was, I believe, in his 80s, uh, had called 911 one day because his son was having an episode and he, I think, at one point had grabbed some kitchen knives. He hadn't like come at him, but he wasn't sure what was, you know, he didn't want him to hurt himself. So he had unfortunately called um, telling the dispatchers that he had a mental health episode and hoping that they would come and just kind of, uh, you know, dissolve the situation and, and kind of get him the help that he needed. Um, but of like what often happens is the police officers when they showed up, um, they used a stun gun on Desmond Phillips and ended up shooting him at least 10 times, killing him. Um, the officer's actions have been ruled justified by the DA's office. Um, and so his family is still seeking justice. We will include in the, in the show notes um, a campaign that you can sign. Uh, but for no reason at all whatsoever does a person need to be shot and killed during a mental health uh, checkup. And they definitely don't need to be shot and killed, shot 10 plus times. Especially if you had a stun gun. So, yeah, we say his name, Desmond Phillips. Desmond Phillips. <clears throat> so my say their name for this week is um, a story that might be familiar to some. And I'm, do I'm doing this story because today happens to be um, this person's birthday. The name is Sandra Bland. And... How old would she have been today? 34? Uh, yeah, 34. 34 years old today. Yeah. <clears throat> At the time of this recording, and we are 
the 7th. We're recording on the 7th of February, 2021. And um, a lot of us know scant details about this story, but I'll just go through it. Uh, Sandra Bland is a 28-year-old African-American woman who was found hanged in a jail cell in Waller County, Texas, June, July 13th, 2015. Three days after being arrested during a pretextual traffic stop, her death was ruled a suicide. It was followed by protest against her arrest, disputing the cause of death and alleging racial violence against her. Um, so basically the story was that she was pulled over by a cop for making an illegal lane change. He started to give her a ticket. Then he noticed that she was smoking. And then he asked her to put the cigarette out and she refused. And then he asked her to get out of the car and she refused. Then he threatened to tase her. And finally he took her out of the car and he arrested her and he took her to jail. And three days later, she was found hanging in her, hanging in her cell. Um, this is an incredibly tragic story. Yeah. Nationwide protests. Mm -hmm. Um, and it just didn't make a whole lot of sense as to how someone gets arrested for a traffic violation, a lane change. Right. Then the, the video, dash cam video came out and I believe what happened was that, uh, she, he was following her very closely as a cop, uh, he, his car. Um, and then she, uh, nervously just decided to get over thinking he was going to pass her. And because she didn't lane change when she got over, he pulled her over. Well, we come to find out this guy had had over a thousand of these little chippy tickets that he's wrote in the last year or so. Um, meaning that he would find ways to pull people over, pull them over and give them tickets. And then try to find ways to in, uh, do further investigations into their vehicle to try to find drugs and stuff. So this guy like set people up. Yeah, this, he wasn't he, he wasn't about setting people up. He was just a he was just one of these police officers who just should have never been a cop because he wanted it too bad. He was always trying. I don't know. If, I, it sounds like he was always he was trying to prove something to somebody. Um, so. Let's see if they talk about exactly what he did. Um, he, yeah, he, he ended up, uh, oh, issued 1,600 mostly minor traffic tickets in less than 12 months using the pretext of little enforced minor infractions to then perform random searches in the hopes of finding something criminal. Yeah. So this guy was just an asshole. He was just a, a little asshole who wanted to run around and mess with people to try to find the big score, to try to show that he was a big, bad police officer. And he was, you know, so he was just basically messing with people the whole time, pulling people over for minor infractions in the hopes of finding something bigger. That's just... And, and obviously he had a complex because she was smoking and he wouldn't... And he, she wouldn't put the cigarette out. She wouldn't do what he said. And so he thought he was, you know, I'm a police officer. You better do what I tell you to do or I'll put you in jail. And that's what he did. Now, what happened once she got to the jail is they, they don't know. 
but it doesn't seem like this it just doesn't seem like this woman was in a position to where over a minor traffic stop she would hang herself in her cell I mean that just doesn't seem like it was going there's a lot that anywhere. didn't add up yeah there's a lot that yeah. just didn't add up about this story which is the reason why it garnered so much attention yeah. but um, you know even even in the midst of the protests that were all happening last year, her name was still being said, mm-hmm. her story was still being kept alive, and people were still talking about what happened to her. Yeah. And for that, you know, I think that it, as long as we keep saying her name, if we keep talking about her story, and, you know, I think one of the things that came out of this was that they were gonna, um, uh, they were going to, um, arrest him the cop but they told him to if he just uh, agreed to never seek employment as a law enforcement officer then they dropped the charges of uh of of of, of perjury because he lied on some police documents that he filled out filled out some police documents and lied on them and so um yeah you know, a lot more to the story. I, I, I think people should look into it and um, say their name. Say, say her Sandra name, Sandra Bland, Bland and say and his Desmond name, Phillips. Desmond Phillips. And so as we move on to our next section, which is our activist highlight, this is where we talk about activists that are doing great work in our space, yes. either online or in the community. And the organization that I wanted to talk about was called Real Justice, realjusticepact.org. And basically what their mandate is, is that they're a political action committee that is dedicated to electing reform-minded prosecutors who will use the powers of their office to fight mass incarceration structural racism and defend our communities and i think that's awesome yeah that's <laughs> I like awesome it. love it um so they have th- the objective of the real justice pack is to win races with a bottoms-up approach and a triple bottom lined number one elect prosecutors who would make a material impact on people's lives by helping in discriminatory policing eliminating money bail and rolling back practices that lead to mass incarceration. Two, win county prosecutors' races with a a systematic mass participation approach to digital and field pioneered on the Bernie Sanders presidential campaign. Three, win races with a mandate for real justice by working to help candidates with a bold, clearly articulated platform win by the widest margin possible so they are a PAC political action committee so you could get involved they have field organizing small dollar fundraising candidate recruitment and digital media I think this is an awesome I mean I love that there are organizations that are out there like this and I'm so happy we have this section as we can talk about these organizations that are that are taking the different like I, I think I said this in the last episode If you want to think about where the work is, just think about a building with a thousand doors. There's so many ways to enter into the fight or enter into the work or find your place in the work and find your place in this movement. 
And so there is no <laughs> real excuse for not getting involved in some real tangible way because there, here's an organization that you could literally donate to. You could repost their stuff. You could get involved with this organization. Their job is to find prosecutors, put them in positions of power, and then have them do what they are elected to do, which is to fix our broken criminal justice system. So it's real justice, realjusticepack.org. Donate, contribute, share, like, all those things. Yeah. I believe that their Instagram is real underscore justice underscore pack. Amazing. So who's your highlight for this week? So Megan? I wanted to talk about this group that um, provides services for individuals lacking the means to provide food, shelter, and clothing. So they work with a lot of homeless and um, they just recently built a whole tiny home village in North Hollywood. I saw that. And okay. it's actually really cool. I'm still looking into the group itself. I think it's a little, um, I don't know like the full capacity of all that they do, um, but I, I saw what they did here and I see some of the other things that they did and I thought it was super cool. If you're able to check that, the video out it's amazing they're like these tiny homes so it's essentially um, a smaller space uh, they have a bed shelving like shelving inside they're able to lock it so it's you know obviously a lot more safe than them sleeping out you know out just outside they uh, if the one of the bigger ones was like if they have pets oftentimes when uh, that something that stops a lot of homeless people from getting permanent housing is that they have to give up their pets. They don't allow that. This space allows it and not only allows it, they have a whole area for their pets to kind of like a like a dog area. Mm -hmm. They have showers, they have um, washer and dryers, they have they get meals. So their meals are provided. Um, and they there's like a whole outdoor area there's tables for them to sit on um, if you're a couple or if there's like you and another person they have the tiny homes for with two different beds in them if you're someone who has a wheelchair they have tiny homes that are you know will uh, handicap accessible so they have enough space so you can keep your wheelchair in there mm. um, and it's this whole big area basically to help transition and get you out of um, this homeless state, you know, um, and, and just also providing those, those, uh, the services of showers and laundry and, you know, just being able to do all of that. There's also workers that are there. I believe that they're building up programs to help kind of um, get them even further. So I thought this was really amazing you know if we were doing more for our houseless we wouldn't have to have these types of things but it's definitely amazing that they did this uh as we're you know as we're especially during the pandemic as more and more people are becoming homeless you know it's mm -hmm. it's just amazing that things are popping up that that help out like this uh more and more so and in and, and in the richest country in the world, we should be able to take care of each other 
better than we are. Um, it's interesting that this, it's Hope of the Valley, which is a nonprofit, right? It is a nonprofit. Um, so this is not the government doing this, which Correct. it should be the government doing this. We pay enough in taxes. But it's awesome that, that there's a group that has marshaled the resources to be able, I, I saw this, I saw this on the news yeah. um, a few days ago, and this is an awesome thing Super that cool. they're doing. Um, I hope that more parts of the city, especially in the city of Los Angeles, I think we have the worst homeless problem in the country, yeah. um, move towards doing things It would things be nice like if they did it towards downtown. Yeah, be nice if they did it. Because this is what we need to do in order to uh, start to move towards a more compassionate way of looking at this thing. Because, you know, you have people who say, oh, well, why are we doing this and we shouldn't do this? It's like, well, we tried your way for 40 years. Mm -hmm. We tried your way of just forgetting about these people, right. throwing them away, throwing them to the trash, not caring about them, stepping over them as they lay dying Making in the street. Making up any narrative you want to... Yeah. to you know any story you want about them to fit the narrative yeah. so you can of that time period uh, of so that you can from the 70s them. the 80s the 90s the early 2000s we just left to teens because we're in the 20s now so we've been doing this since the 70s mm -hmm. and that way of being harsh and 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 demonizing and dehumanizing mm -hmm. what has it gotten us has it worked or has it just gotten us more homeless people that are more destitute desperate and in a worse and a homeless problem is getting it's it's not only getting worse it's getting significantly and almost exponentially worse every single time we check in on it yeah. so it's like every six months it's worse than it was six months ago right and so it's like yeah th this is a this is a, a nice step story. in the right direction yeah and i hope that that obviously, I hope these guys raise as much money as humanly possible so they can keep yeah. doing this work all over town. <clears throat> and I hope that more organizations step up to be able to do that type of work. And obviously, as we move into our call to actions, our call to, first call to action is always to support our activists. Mm -hmm. So follow both of our activists on Instagram or on Twitter or on Facebook or wherever. And if you can donate to them, donate to them if you can participate and volunteer do that also mm -hmm. and like us follow us <laughs> share our stuff yes um we are on instagram youtube and of course wherever you listen to this amazing podcast so like share follow us on all the things subscribe you know whatever the language is um we love all of you we're so grateful that all of you guys listen to us week after week you reach out uh, let us know how we're doing you know tell us what we're doing wrong uh, please send don't us, put us on a pedestal yeah don't put us on a pedestal. <laughs> you know we we're still open to questions friends so reach out with any questions that you want us to answer on the podcast or on you know any of our platforms um reach out we're, we're continuing to grow so we're we're going to be once we finish here we're going to be filming some things for our youtube so if you are wanting to donate to us you know donate to our growth reach out if you want to do any advertisements with us um, any sponsorship for us uh, in regards to the podcast or our YouTube channel, reach out, friends, unlearnrelearn.com. 
podcast at gmail.com. Um, and always, always, always take care of yourselves uh, and each other and be kind to yourself. And it's Black History Month. So each and every day, each and every week, you should be learning new things that you did not know about black history. Yes. Hey, guess what else, guys? Black history is American history. So on that note. Yes. So um, I wanted to say that one of the people that I'm following, I think she was a she's a highlight. She's an activist highlight. Rachel Cargill. I think she's been a. She's been an activist highlight, and she's been, she's been we've talked about her a, a lot. She's doing a daily Black History Month prompt. Oh, yeah. Check like, out our, our yeah. Instagram. We have, because like, all of that on there. They, there's so many people doing this, too. She's not the only one. She's just the one I happen to be following. Where she gives you a different topic. She does not tell you anything about this topic. She tells you to Google this topic. So it is up to you to go and do the research about this particular topic, and she gives you a new one every day. That's awesome. Please check out those type of resources that are out there if you want to know how to further. I've we're learned, posting a lot of them. I, on yeah, our we're page. also posting stuff. Yeah. If you, I've learned stuff, and I thought that I knew enough. I'm learning stuff over mm-hmm. the last week of Black History Month. So keep keep yeah. keep doing that. And as, as always. always, thank you so much for hanging out with us. As we unlearn the BS and relearn the good stuff. All right, guys, we will see you on the next episode. Please take care of yourself. Bye, friends.